In this episode, what you need to know about travelling to Peru during COVID, including the new rules for visiting Machu Picchu. The War Nomads Podcast. It's not your usual travel podcast. It's everything for the adventurous independent traveller. Hey, it's Phil and Kim. And before we get into chatting about Peru, Kim, where have you been and where are you now? I know, every time an episode yep. comes out, I sound differently, don't I? Yeah. <laughs> well, look, I'm guessing, because that doesn't sound like the van. Are you inside a house right now? I am inside a house. Ah. Uh, as people may or may not know, Australia's been hit by um, a ridiculous weather storm, um, and we were in the outback when it hit and camping on red dirt. So we watched this dry thunder and lightning show on the night be- the night before, and knowing that we're going to be hammered with rain, we and you could never get that red dirt, that desert kind of red dirt stuff out of your gear. Um, we packed up and ran the gauntlet. Andrew was working in the passenger seat <laughs> while I drove. Um, and we got across the border into South Australia and we went to an historic copper mining town called Burra. Yep. And if anyone knows anything about uh, South Australia, they are free settlers. So there's no sort of convict heritage. So everything felt very Cornish. Okay. It was, um, yeah, quite, quite incredible. You could have been, you know, in the UK. Oh, right. Okay. Um, And one funny, one funny anecdote that may interest people is because South Australia are free settlers, they have a slightly different accent to us. Yes, they do. They do. And my husband is often asked whether he's English. So, no, I'm from Adelaide. And I said, yes, mate, you've got a different sound to the rest of Australia. So he's now back in um, the state that he grew up in and he's listening and, said, and he's picking it up. He, he actually said to a couple, so are you from the UK? And they said, <laughs> no, we were, we're born. from Adelaide. Yeah, 15Ks down the road. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the, the weather did um, affect and, and digital nomads will understand that from a working on the road perspective, like we are in a van, the weather can dictate dictates a lot, um, you know, even when it's hot you, you come out of the van when I've recorded dripping in sweat um wind affects the microphones so yeah we're yeah, in the so house you, can't, you can't really do an online conference call with rain beating down against the sides of the van I take it no yeah. although Andrew did do one with Malaysia yeah. and the guy behind us said I'll, <laughs> I'll tone it down a bit oh have I got to get the beeps ready <laughs> Where are all these bloody ants coming from? <laughs> in the middle of a conference call. No. In the middle of a conference call, yeah. So there are a million pros and there are also as many cons, Bill. Uh, so, yeah, in South Australia. Now, I've calculated that I am 810 kilometres or over 8,500 miles from Cusco in Peru. Hang on. It's, hang on. How, how many kilometres? 13,810. Okay, that's not what you said. <laughs> what did I say? 810. <laughs> oh, they shit, no they've moved it. <laughs> I told you I'm not good with numbers. When are you going to realise this? <laughs> no, so it's 13,810 Ks, um, 8,500 miles. The only way that I can get there is swim. <laughs> um, because Australia has still banned non-essential international travel, but it's opened its borders. 
uh, Peru has, and we're going to revisit an episode. Yeah, look, uh, international flights are, uh, are running and all major sites around the Cusco area are currently open for free. Um, it's not that expensive anyway, but, you know, that's nice. They're hoping to spark a bit of national tourism. Um, this October 2020 right now, so Machu Picchu and the Cusco area is only open to locals but they're hoping to open up to international travellers next month. Once it's open, Machu Picchu will only allow 675 visitors uh, to enter the site per day and in groups of no more than eight, including the guides. So I did the quick math on that. So it's about 84 groups going in, which means it's going to be pretty – it's a huge site, so it's not going to be crowded um, a crowded experience. So – you know, that's a silver lining in there. All the standard rules and regulations for COVID are in place and a negative molecular test, which is the same as the PCR test. I put my doctor's code on and went and checked that out. You've got to have a negative molecular test taken within 72 hours of arrival in uh, Peru to be allowed in. Well, thank you for doing all those figures. If I had have done them, it would have been a very different story. <laughs> there would be 900 million groups. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So as I said, we've recut our episode on Peru, updating you with what you need to know about travelling there. So thanks for that. But also to whet your appetite for travel to this incredible destination. Now, our first guest is Matt Lacey. Matt is a British actor and comedian, and he's best known for his role as Ben in the BBC TV series Cuckoo, which is incredibly funny if you haven't tuned in, and Orlando in Gapya. Gapya. It's a comedy sketch and it went viral around the world. In fact, his pronunciation of Peru or bra became a global catchphrase. So let's just have a little listen in case you haven't heard it before. That really reminds me of this time on my gap, yeah. Yeah, I was in South America, in Pará. Pará. No, Pará, darling, Pará. Peru. Oh, yeah, yeah, Pará, Pará, yeah. Wonderful country, you know, beautiful people, yeah. Um, Yeah, no, uh, we were trekking in the Andes and the sun was just rising and glinting off the snow, creating this sort of ethereal haze. And I really got a sense of the awesome power of nature and the insignificance of man, you know. And then I just chundered everywhere. I was like, all over the snow. I was like, have that nature, (laughs) one nil. (laughs) I so love that. Parah, darling, parah. (laughs) Matt, thanks for being part of the show. That YouTube clip, by the way, has had six million views. Wow, is it six million? Um, Yeah, no pressure. uh, It's funny hearing (laughs) it back. I haven't haven't had it. Uh, I haven't heard it for a while. Um, no, I didn't. Uh, and to be honest, I think if uh, if I had known, I would have put it on my own YouTube channel and not the guy she filmed. <laughs> <laughs> what was the motivation behind it? Oh, it's all written from life. I met a lot of people at university um, that sort of had spent a year vomiting all over the developing world. <laughs> We're very keen. <laughs> tell everyone about it. Um, and I mean, there's there's some amount of sort of, dare I say, self parody. I'm not. I'm not, I don't live in Fulham, but I did. Uh, I did actually go on a gap year, and um, I went to Peru. Well, I didn't pronounce it like that. <laughs> so, so yeah, Peru, Peru, darling. Um, what did you think of Peru? Yeah, it's a beautiful place. I kicked some fairly. Um, 
normal boxes, you know, going down to Cusco and doing the Inca Trail and stuff. But, you know, they're popular for a reason. Did you chunder anywhere? Um, uh, I don't I don't think so. I mean, <laughs> I, I managed to keep the, the deep-fried guinea pig down oh. um, as far as I can remember. I couldn't go there. I tried that there. I couldn't go there. And you, no. you, you did it, did you? Yeah, yeah, I did. I mean, it's a cliche, but it tasted like chicken. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, sort of the brown meat of chicken. Where else have you been around the world? Oh, lots of different places. So um, after the, the gap year thing broke, um, the Telegraph serialised my book. Um, by the way, that's still on sale for, for the, the hardcore fans. Um, <laughs> um and, 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 yeah, after they serialised it, they sent me to South Africa to live on a lion reserve. I wrote a fantastic puff piece about it. <laughs> um, so that was fun. Most recently, I've been going to Europe a lot, just because it's quite easy. Yeah. Um, so so most recently, I've, I've sort of... Uh, my most interesting trips have been based around weird festivals. And um, in Europe, that is, they're an absolute plethora. Um, so I, I, I recently went to one in the Basque country where they string a goose cadaver on um, on a wire and then loads of boats run uh, go past it. And the locals try and jump onto the goose cadaver <laughs> as it gets flipped up and down into the air. And um, if, they, <laughs> if they fall off, they lose. But if they manage to hold on and thus decapitate the goose. Um, <laughs> generally, if you if you scratch the surface with Spain and the Basque Country, every small town will have some sort of weird festival that you can go to. Um, you know, some of them, they replace the dead goose with the rubber goose, I think, for animal rights reasons. <laughs> In the more ethically sound towns yeah. of Basque Country, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, well, you should, I reckon you should go to the one in Japan. We, we've got a film, uh, we covered it on World Nomads. Uh, it's the Naked, mm-hmm. Man, Naked Man Festival in Japan. Yes, I'm there. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> no, men only. They go off to that island and, and all get naked. Um, yeah, I, well, I, I read about that. Yeah, there's this really strange, so there's like, you know, thousands of men just wearing loincloths basically inside this temple and like the priest lobs a stick into the crowd and then they all fight for it. The one person who picks it up and puts it into a receptacle gets, I don't know, you know, good luck for a year. So it's like this thronging mass of like, you know, 1,000, 1,500 semi-naked blokes. It's amazing. When I went to Japan, I um I particularly remember the the onsen, the the hot baths, which are amazing, but but some of them really don't have the capacity for the the naked men that want to get into. It. I was nearly sort of, well, uh, to put it bluntly, sort of ha- had bits swung against me by an elderly Japanese man <laughs> <laughs> trying to get into the plunge pool. Was, uh, yeah, so I, I I I guess that's probably good training for the naked man festival. <laughs> Thanks so much for having a chat. It's a real pleasure, particularly as a fan of Orlando, Matt. Thank you very much. Thanks, Matt. (laughs) No worries. We'll have that clip in our show notes for you to see in full, plus links to where you can buy Matt's book, The Gut Yard Planner. Phil, when you mentioned we were doing a podcast on Peru and then you said, hey, I want to follow up with a chat on surfing, I I see you see, Matt. (laughs) (laughs) Peru and surfing? But... 
they go hand in hand. Well, a massive coastline there as well. And, well, you know, nothing between Peru and, you know, Asia, basically. I know, but I just didn't think. And uh, hence we got in touch with Amy and she's going to educate me and perhaps everyone else that's listening that wasn't aware of this fantastic surf culture in, in uh, Peru. Hi, how are you going? Good, how are you? Well, I'm well, but I'm feeling a little... Uh, not underwhelmed, but undereducated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Feels right. You know, it's a massive coastline. Tell us about this surfing culture. Sure. Um, so it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's one of these places that is not necessarily on everybody's kind of surfing travel journey map. Uh, it's, it's, but in terms of like South America or the kind of Western hemisphere, it's um, it's probably like the Indonesia of of Latin America or or North and South America, because it does have this long coastline, um, and it's broken up by a fair number of kind of point breaks, which means it, it, you know it, uh, the swell comes in and kind of breaks gradually along a point, which for a surfer is generally kind of the ideal setup for a wave. Not all surfers will say that, but. But most of us, I think, <laughs> would. So Peru is really sort of well-designed. Most of Peru gets waves literally every day of the year. It's, it is a very, very rare day when it's flat. So it's, it's pretty special in that sense. And sort of what sort of, you know, quality surf, which are we talking about big waves that you get there, or is it, um, you know, always smaller or varies? Yeah, great question. It Again, it depends. It's usually... Yeah, I don't want to talk, make it seem like kind of the land of the perfect way, but it's often like just kind of the perfect size. So I'm not sure what you use in Australia, but in, in Canada, we usually use feet. So it's usually between like three and six feet on most days. And where we are right now, which is Wanchaco, which is just kind of eight hours north of Lima. So it's sort of in North Peru, but not super north. Um, it's got... It generally has like a good size swell that's good for almost any level of surfer from kind of beginner to intermediate. Um, but then if it does get really big, there's other spots that you can go to that kind of hold a bigger swell. Wanchaco became a World Surf Reserve partially because of um, its history, which again has this kind of culture, which is actually a fishing culture. So they, they, they build these big old um, boards out of what's called tortora reed. So it's just a, a reed that they cut in the swamp. And then, um, and they use them kind of like a stand-up paddle board, but it's considered, they've been using them at least 3,500 years. So, um, so that's part of this kind of original or this very old ancient history um, that several civilizations have used um, that kind of make it very significant around the world um, as the, the origin of surfing. So that was part of the reason why it was um, considered significant enough to become a world surf reserve. And it's got a really kind of alive um, surf culture in the sense that you have these, these this traditional surfing um, or fishing craft that is considered the first surfboard or original surfboard that you see going in and out of uh, kind of the surf break every day. Um, and then you have, you know, surfers surfing around these kind of very traditional ancient uh, surfing craft. So it's a, it's a pretty special atmosphere. There's nowhere else I've ever been that has this kind of living history along with kind of modern surfing. All right. 
Amazing, but I've got about a dozen questions to ask you there. I'm just going to backtrack a long way. 3,500-year-old um, surfboard. surfboard, the history from there. And what does a Peruvian surfboard, that's the, the reed thing that you're talking about, is that right? Yep, it's called Caballito de Tortora, which means basically like seahorse of the reed. So the reed is Tortora. I, are Peruvians claiming surfing? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because, um, you know, there's a long, I I would say the modern history of surfing has really held on to this idea that, that, you know, modern surfing came from Hawaii, which don't quote me on this, but in the eighties, when, um, the first, the first ISA world champion, Felipe Pomar, who now lives in Hawaii, actually, but he's Peruvian, kind of brought an um, evidence of this to Surfer Magazine and did a big article on it in Surfer Magazine and, and you know, stirred up the pot about, so where did surfing really originate? And if you can, if you have evidence of this um, civilization using this kind of a board 3,500 years ago, well... It's uh, it, it definitely shows it's older than, than the Hawaiian tradition. We've been coming to and from Peru. We're from Canada for about, I don't know, seven, eight years now and, uh, and surfing lots of different waves up and down the coast. And, uh, and we really fell in love with this place I mentioned already, Juan Chaco, partially because of this kind of long, old surfing tradition, which is still very much alive, but because the wave is really accessible to all levels of surfers. So two years ago, we were here, and my partner was um, working remotely. He has a web design business, and we were just kind of thinking about, you know, what's next in, in life, and we we were thinking about, you know, we would, we would love to take other people who can work remotely to a place like Juan Chaco where you can um, you can have really great Wi-Fi. You can surf literally every single day of the year. And if it gets too big here, then you can take people to Chicama, which is um, a world or uh, the longest left in the world. It's about an hour from here. So when it gets really big here, it works really well there in Chicama. So you've got lots of options for waves in the region. And we thought, well, and also the other thing about Juan Chaco is you can walk to everything. So we were like, this is the perfect place to kind of just hang out for a month, get your work done, but also every day before you work, go out and surf. And then at lunchtime, you can go out and surf. And then in the evening, you can go out and surf. You can surf your, your face off all day, but still you get your work done. So we decided that we would um, start a business where we basically take um, people who can work remotely but want to have kind of a more uh, a more fulsome uh, surf lifestyle um, and bring them here. We set them up with everything that they need. So we get them a private apartment um, rather than kind of a, a hotel room. We want them to feel like they're really living here. So we get them a private apartment, surf lessons or surf coaching, um, Spanish lessons, yoga, and then we do um, either surf tours or other kinds of uh, trips and tours on the on the weekends. Um, and so we we provide that for people either for two weeks or for a month, um, so that they can, or for two months or three months, <laughs> so that they can really um, basically live their dream surfing lifestyle. We'll have links to Unleash Surf plus pics of that three and a half thousand year surfboard in our show notes. Thanks for that. Phil, the Inca Trail is being overrun and there have to be some worthwhile treks in the area that are an alternative. This guy apparently knows them. Now, I'm hoping that I pronounce your first name correctly. It's Efran? 
Efrain Valles. Well, I knew we'd get it wrong. <laughs> Us Australians are so bad at putting the, you know, that just that little twist to make it, everything sound sexy. <laughs> okay, Effie, you can call me Effie, it will be easier, but my name is Efrain Valles. Okay, so it's true, the Inca Trail is getting overrun, Effie? Uh, actually, yes. Uh, uh, there is a 500 people a day starting almost all together. Uh, there are some ways to avoid them, but uh, most of the people, they would like to do the Inca Trail in four days. So all of them start together. They camp in one place all together. They, they walk almost all together. Of course, the landscape is amazing. Uh, uh, the biology, the nature in that area is amazing. But uh, after four days hiking with many people, it seems like uh, you were not really in the place that you were thinking you will be. We as a guys and myself as a guy, we are upset about it and we are trying to find some type of solution for this or perhaps looking for options or alternatives. Well, this is what we wanted to talk to you about because I had heard about Chocuequero, which is um, very similar to Machu Picchu and not that far away. Is that right? Chocuequero is very well known as the sacred sister of Machu Picchu. It was abandoned for quite a long time. Uh, the government doesn't really put attention much in that place. But recently, the mayor from uh, the different communities around, they are trying to talk and uh, restore the area with the, gov- with the help of the government. UNESCO is also helping there. They are trying to build a cable car, but it still is a project. But the, the hike is amazing. Uh, the site is unbelievable place with a lot of terraces, with uh, amazing uh, platforms, houses, temples, waterfalls. I really like more that place than Machu Picchu. Machu Picchu is amazing. The land, the surroundings, the mountains, of course, is a new, one of the new seven wonders. But it's the only place where I have seen a condor, like a three meters right in front of me, going to the highest point of Chokikirao, right at the platform. Where else in the world are you going to see the condor three meters right in front of you? No, absolutely. Mm. I'm not sure so if I want to see the condor three meters in front of me. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Effie, tell us then about some of those other worthwhile treks in the in the area that, that ideally have some of those amazing ruins at the end, like Machu Picchu. You can go to Choquequirao, then you can connect to Vilcabamba through Bitcos. Vilcabamba was the last the last shelter, the last capital of the Inca Empire, Spanish were here in 1533. Can I, can I just ask you about Quero again? So he just wanted to say I just again. wanted to say the word because I think I've got it right. Yeah. Uh, how, so because it, I mean, that's a, that's you're going up and down a fair, a fair height a few times there. So how many people, you say you've got, you know, what, 7,000 today at Machu Picchu. How many people are you getting at Quero? Okay, I was there so many times, and sometimes I was there alone with my group. Wow. Okay. I found sometimes a couple of groups. Now you can see, sometimes you can see 50 people, sometimes 60, but I don't think so more than that. I haven't seen never, ever in that area more than 60 people in a day. Can I ask you two more questions, all right? Just two more. I'm sorry. One of them is the uh, the Inca Trail to Machu Picchu. You know, some people do, you know, two, what, three-day trek. How fast can you do it? What's the fastest you've ever done it? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you really want to hear that? Yes. <laughs> okay. The first time 
the four days in Cottrell, you cannot do it, you cannot do it in three days. In three days. Four days. The rules are you buy your tickets for four days or for five days. But the fastest I did the first time was six hours <laughs> with a runner from Scotland. The second time I did it was in three hours and 45 minutes. Oh, come on. Sorry, sorry. Sorry, sorry. Four hours and 20 minutes. But the record is three hours and 45 minutes by professional runners. To yeah. my final question for you, Effie. Tell me, sir. No problem. Anyway, as <laughs> yeah. much you want. Machu Picchu, Chocolakirao. Have you got another one? Is there another one you're not telling us about? Vilcabamba. It's getting quite popular. On the way, you can see a mountain called Veronica, 5,700 meters Whoa. in front of you, snow cap. You arrive to 4,300 meters, the highest point, all the way down to the cloud forest to enjoy coffee, tea, uh, chocolate, banana, mango, orange, mandarins, all the fruits, pineapple, papayas, all the way down to the jungle where we produce coca leaf as well. We produce all the all the fruits we have in Cusco comes from that area. You see the landscapes also amazing, rivers you can do rafting, biking, lots of activities. Then you go to Vilcabamba, the last capital of the Inca Empire, the last shelter of the Inca Empire, where the last Inca was killed. In a, in a day, you can see no one or somebody, but no many, group, no many groups, less than Choquequirao. Then we have another one called Lares. Lares is an amazing hike. People who, used to, who still speak Spanish, uh, sorry, Quechua, our native language, Inca language, who still live over 4,000 meters producing potatoes. Alamas and alpacas up in the mountains, supporting extreme temperatures, wearing typical clothes, living without any money in the area, but they still do the share. You know, give me corn, I give you potatoes. Give me this, I give you that. The landscape, the mountains, and they wear typical clothes made by them, textiles. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. The trek is called Lares. Thank you so much, Effie. And if you'd like him to be your guide trekking through Peru, we'll show you where you can get hold of him in our show notes alongside travel alerts and detailed information on travel to Peru. Do your own research because we can only offer what we know at the time of recording, right? Indeed. Uh, look, if you've got a story you want to share with us, get in touch at podcast at worldnomads.com and also please can you rate the show and subscribe wherever you get your favourite pods. It really helps us out. And I really would like to, by Christmas, hit that half a million listeners. Oh, yes, that'd be good. We're just All right, share it creeping around. Slowly. Yeah, next episode, the women who've been travelling for either business or pleasure during COVID and the launch of a new app for solo female travellers. See you then. Bye. Bye. The World Nomads Podcast. Explore your boundaries.